0: To episode 119 of the Love That Album podcast. So glad that you took the time to download this show or listen to us through Spotify or whatever platform you choose to do. Thank you so much for your time. And this is an episode I've been meaning to do for a very, very long time. So I'm most excited to have two musicians to join me on the other end of a Skype connection, two guitar players, so they'll know what they're talking about when they're talking about the musicianship of XTC. So I'd like to reintroduce Shane Pacey, who'd have previously been on the show a couple of episodes back to talk about Emmylou Harris's Wrecking Ball album. So welcome back, Shane.
3: Thanks, mate. Good to be back.
0: Wonderful to have you back. How's things going with the Bondi cigars and the Shane Pacey trio?
3: Oh, moderately busy. Always oh, seems to be something on the horizon. It's got some festivals coming up, um, a few odd gigs here and there, fixing up to ma- make a change in where I'm living. But uh, other mm. than that, on- onward and upward.
0: You'll be in Victoria in uh, January,
3: I believe. Is that still, uh, still the case? No, because um, that was a little run I had worked out, but then, then my trio got Threadbow Blues Festival and we had to do a bit of rescheduling. So, um, oh. yeah, but is Thred- good that time of year. It's, it's, it's the only time I'd consider going to, to a, a ski resort in summertime. <laughs>
0: Well-attended festival?
3: It is, yeah. It's it's more of a boutique festival. It's not one of those massive, in a big, massive tent type things. You know, they they limit the ticket sales and it's not cheap. So it keeps the riffraff out. No, I don't know. know. (laughs)
4: It's
3: just one of those little type things that it's always good to be there. It's just a beautiful place to be at that time of year.
0: Well, I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in Melbourne sometime after that. Yes. Get your agent onto it.
3: Yeah, it's in the cards. Mm, Good.
0: And my other guests, all the way From Los Angeles, all the way from his superb appearance on Ben Eisen's all-time top 10 podcast, (laughs) Mr. Jeff Perlman. Welcome to the show, Jeff.
2: Well, thank you very much. It's good to be here.
0: Now, I had to do a little bit of looking up and seeing. well, what has Jeff done? And holy guacamole, you have got quite a pedigree of some of the people that you've worked with, working with Don Woz, working with John Doe and DJ Bonebreak, and a man who I absolutely revere, or have revered for many years, Mr. Mike Chapman.
4: We're not worthy! We're not worthy! Uh, you're
2: worthy you're worthy they all they all everything sounds more more hooey than it is but
0: (laughs) give us a little bit of background about the work that you do in in los angeles
2: well i scooted down here from san francisco in 2000 and when i was up in san francisco in the 90s i was playing in some bands and eventually a couple of guys i I was a student at berkeley in boston and, and and i met a couple of guys there that are still two of my dearest friends and i'm currently working on new music with my friend who was a bass player uh john evans who was known for playing with Tori amos for about 18 years and among others he's out there on cape cod so i just uh, recorded out with him and boy i just flashed right to the present um so (laughs) so backing up san francisco uh, the three of us and and my friends john evans and our friend dan Foltz on the drums we ended up backing up linda perry from the Born Non Blondes and oh, okay. she had a solo record out and so we basically toured with her for uh, you know a couple of years as her backing band and from that the drummer and I ended up playing with Shelby Lynn for a minute but it was a good minute it was 1999 it was great record that I am Shelby Lynn record was about to drop and we went over to England and we played on the Jules Holland show and oh, wow. played a really great gig in the town and you know but the gig it, you know it was i wasn't there for very long <laughs> was, so around that time that's when i moved to la just been slugging it away man i've got you know just tons of tons of in and out of tons of bands and playing for people and this and that but uh, i ended up playing with jill Sobule for a little while and th- that was when i ended up playing with don was um, right. she did a record she did like one of, the f- one of the first crowdfunding records that was ever done was was jill Sobule? i i, I remember an npr piece about her and she, you know she raised like 80 grand and then everybody was sort of crowdsourcing their records but she got don was to do the the record and so i basically was on the first day of sessions and i don't think any of my guitar stuff made it but all music says that i, <laughs> I, I contributed i contributed a vocal and uh so yeah that was the don was And mike chapman was was a, a family friend of a, of a guy i used to do a lot of work with we spent a day in the studio with him and you know he's just yeah a very charismatic fella Full of stories and legends, so I was definitely having the I'm Not Worthy stuff, you know.
0: (laughs) Back in the late 70s, his was the name that was like on everyone's lips, and he recorded albums quickly, but they all sounded fresh and bright. Man. I've played Get the Knack more times than I can count
2: oh god yeah it's, it's incredible and that record you know was just them playing their set live you know yes i, I mean i don't think they stopped tape between songs with that record it was just <laughs> i really don't I, my friend said he was there and they did like three songs you know as many as you can get 15 minutes they would just play it live and so anyway uh more currently dj bone break i get to play with a bunch in a band called dead rock west Speeding out into- We made a record last year, and, and uh, John Doe produced the record, and that was pretty exciting. So, are X still a going concern? They are out there. They're they're playing somewhere, I think, tonight with Los Lobos. Been, oh, that's they a just gig in uh, Yeah, yeah, they just celebrated uh, 40 years uh, last year. They were on the road, most of it playing around, doing, and they were fantastic. And yeah, it's been a real gas for me to get to know those guys. I come from Omaha, Nebraska, where, was, you know, punk rock was just kind of around, and and that was all there was to check out <laughs> and the bands would come through, but I was too young, you know, and, and I always loved X. And, and so it's a real thrill to get to a, you know, and I mean, DJ is such an amazing musician and they all are. It's just so dead rock West. We made this great record and, and check that out. If you can, it's called more love mm. and features, uh, guest appearances by Elliot Easton and another guitar player named Greg Leese.
0: Greg Leese, uh, the, I think he's a guy who's worked with, uh, Bill built I think.
2: Yes. Yes. That's the guy. Right, right, he right. is a monster, a session monster monster mm. here oh, and there's a movie a documentary film that started as just a record but blossomed into this thing that i have been involved with the band of which is jacob dylan leading a bunch of uh, duets on this record of '60s tunes and Laurel, from Laurel Canyon, and they're covers of you know Mamas and Papas and The Birds and Buffalo Springfield and all that good stuff and Deep Boys, and there's guests on the record are just crazy, like Nora Jones and uh, Eric Clapton is on there, Beck is on there, and Neil Young and Fiona Apple and Regina Spector, and Cat Power. It just is and then it became a movie that's a doc about this is all produced by this guy named Andrew Slater. His thing became a movie called Echo in the Canyon. So it's it's coming out and the movie continues with even Clapton is interviewed in this movie and Ringo is in the movie and Tom Petty is interviewed in the movie. Crosby, Stills, Nash, all of you know, anyone who who was around then that, that they could get is in the movie. It just premiered at the LA Film Festival in September and it's currently shop, being shopped for a deal. So I think you'll, hopefully you'll hear about it. And, well, I'm so in it. the movie, it's, it's a combination of concert footage and studio vignettes and, and things and the band is in all that stuff. We all get a lot of FaceTime, all of us in the in the Echo and the Canyon band. So we're pleased about that and, and on the record we're pretty well, <clears throat> well represented. So
0: all that's coming
2: out hopefully
0: I might have next year. I've got one more person or one more group I want to ask you about because I'm pretty sure I heard you say in your all-time top ten episode that you'd work with the Billy Nayer show. And oh man, yeah. Earlier this year, we discussed on the film podcast the uh, the American Astronaut, which has shot up into one of my favorite films ever. So tell us about working with them.
3: Sitting his pedestal and reaching for a roll of paper mr satan butterwolf
2: began to plan his fiendish caper with a grin and with a look that reminisced of butter books
3: he wiped the residue from neath his tail
2: Oh man, uh, well that's, it's Corey Maccabee it's his brain, <laughs> his brilliant brain, and uh, man, I just, I moved to San Francisco in the early 90s and I would see this band playing around I think my roommate subbed on bass for a couple of them, and they were just wacky. He'd come out and do these two-minute songs, and you know they'd do like these 20, 22 songs and, and 40-minute set. Just bam, 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 and deadpan and ensued. suits. I'm like, these guys are amazing. You know, and eventually I ended up in the band, uh, playing guitar, and uh, oh, played with them for a couple of years around San Francisco. And it was probably some of the best moments I've had on, on stage. And he, he was such a great performer. So in addition to being a, the music and everything, he, he's an amazing illustrator, graphic artist, painter. And filmmaker. Yep. So he started one of the, his first films. He was something he shot on like a 16 millimeter, and then and then put every frame up on the wall and hand traced and painted each frame on a piece of paper, and ended up with like 2,738 frames of paper that he reshot in order. He would had that kind of attention to detail. He yes. hand printed like 600 f- flyers for a gig, you know, hand by hand, every piece, you know. And he's he's that dedicated. So his film American Astronaut is just amazing.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, we're as huge fans.
2: Stingray Sam, too. Have you seen Stingray Sam? I have
0: seen yeah, Sting. Way. I have seen Stingray Sam. I, I like the idea of it being a six-part. Next time on Stingray Sam, it's a really paying tribute to that old style of cliffhanger, yeah. while, while still doing something very new as well. The guy's got an imagination. He's fantastic.
2: Yeah, that's great. You asked about him because they're just, it's a very obscure act. <laughs>
0: Okay, so at this stage, I should actually say what it is that we're all here to be talking about. We're here to be talking about the album English Settlement by XTC, their fifth album, and in a way, the final album of the first period of the band. But we'll talk about that in due course. So what we're going to be doing is now going to a quick break. Joanne will announce the contact details, and then we'll come back after the break to talk a lot about XTC with myself here in Melbourne, Jeff over in LA, and Shane up in Sydney. You're listening to Love That Album, episode 119.
1: We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email morris at Kitchen at yahoo.com.au Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music related discussion.
4: Music and movies. Yeah. Movies and music. Yeah. Join Morris, Tim, and Bernie every month as they discuss music related movies iTunes, Facebook, or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com. The See Here Podcast.
1: It's a blast. Far
0: out, 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 out. Welcome back to the show. We're going to discuss XTC's album, English Settlement. This has been a show a long time coming. I wanted to discuss them a long time ago, but never quite had the nerve because their music is so complex and didn't really want to feel like I was doing it in injustice. But I found two excellent co-hosts who will carry me through the show. So um, I guess I have to ask, first of all, Jeff, what's your earliest memories of listening to XTC?
2: Growing up in Omaha, and I think actually it was my brother had the Big Express when he was in college. I heard the Big Express and then I went out and I bought whatever I could buy by them.
0: So what was it about their music from that album that happened to hit you you big? I know a lot of XTC fans, that's the one that's really overproduced.
2: Sure, it was possibly, in, in retrospect, a victim of some of that '80s brashness and, and bigness. But I always, I still like the sound of that record today. And just, I think, you know, it's so funky. It opens so funky with the hard pan guitar thing, and the, the you don't know where one is, mm. and it's just this funky riff, and then this big ass drum beat comes in, and it's like, all right. Um, so it's pretty easy to get into, and you know, later on, I, I realized that I'm just, you know, I'm really drawn to the the way they use their guitars. It's, mm. it's unlike unlike any other band I've I've heard, and and uh, I just love it. You know, I think Drums and Wires is possibly my favorite album of theirs, but that's the stuff. You know, <laughs> I was just like when I heard it, I was like, that's this stuff is amazing, and, I, and you know, I liked it all. So
0: Shane, on our previous
2: conversation
0: at the end of the Wrecking Ball episode, you revealed that you were a huge fan of English Settlement. So was that where you started your love for the band?
3: No, I, I'm old enough to have kind of been there when these things were coming out. So I sort of heard their first couple of things, their post-punk early albums, the first one and Go. I thought they were pretty good, but then when Drums and Wise came out... have double j here up in sydney i don't think it had got to melbourne yet nice. but yeah they were thrashing that and that blew my mind because it, it sort of had elements of everything i used to love about progressive music but it still had that post-punk energy like jeff was saying that it's, it's the guitars they're so angular and yes uh, they keep on hitting notes that you just wouldn't expect a guitar player to hit and i think some of that comes from i'll, I'll probably talk about it, we'll talk about it later some of it comes from captain Beefheart's magic band i think i hear a lot of that kind oh, of scronky, wow. Uh, out of tune not out of tune but sort of sure. atonal guitar <laughs> so,
2: yeah beautifully yeah. dissonant
3: yeah yeah and then um the album for me the the Ecstasy album for me is black sea i just love the drum sound oh. on that album it's massive and it's, the songs yeah. are so moving and good and then english settlement is this huge thing that i'm still years later kind of discovering things about it. it's like it's that, it's that wide album thing of that. there's so much on it and mm-hmm. yeah so that's yeah i've been there right from the beginning really and uh I always listen to them always pull them out occasionally
0: like a lot of other teenagers at the time my first sighting of xtc that i can recall was on countdown when senses working overtime i think was the, yeah. the new single and I think I'd possibly heard Making Plans for Nigel somewhere on the radio, but I can't really recall that for, for terribly much. I don't know if it played on 3XY down here or not. According to a discussion I read with Andy Partridge, I found this interesting just sort of thinking back to Since It's Working Overtime, there was a rock video trope that was born with that film clip which was filming at twice the speed for sections of the song so they pulled back to proper speed. The band looked like they were in slow motion and that just seems to be, yeah, that's a common thing in video clips all through the 80s but according to Andy, that's where it started so I found that really, really interesting. That was where I sort of jumped on board but I guess unlike you gents, for whatever reason I didn't sort of become like a fanatic I got to go out and buy every album I don't think that my I wouldn't say even fanaticism but my love of the band really came until it uh, might have been the 90s or something
3: mm-hmm. might have been
0: with mm-hmm. getting I think the compact XTC and getting all those great singles in the one place and I thought right from there on that's when I started yeah. to look into the albums but I just found it really fascinating that you make the connection to Captain Beefheart, that's because uh, mm. you mentioned the dissonance, and really, I think if I was to sum up to someone in a sentence what XTC was. It was dissonance and melody, and they seemed yeah. like two cra- contrasting concepts, and yet mm-hmm. that was what the band was. And I, I love a band that takes you melodically to places that you can't predict, and that's something that's always been the case with Colin Moulding and Andy Partridge's songwriting. You don't know what the next chord sequence or chord even is
3: going to be. yeah. I think they make up chords. I mean, there's some of those chords that, that Andy Partridge uses. I've never heard anybody else use since. Or, yeah. or, well, have,
2: um, have you guys seen the documentary that has shown about them? I think on Showtime. And, and, and there is a brilliant scene in there where Andy just shows you how he writes a song. And if you can recall that scene, he, he just he sits there with the guitar and he says, and I just put my fingers where, you know, I hopefully have never put them before. And he just starts and he finds something. And, you know, as soon as he hears something and something, which, you know, doesn't take him long, he's he's off and he's running and he's like, that sounds like a pool of a puddle. It sounds like a black puddle. And so he starts singing about a black puddle and it's just and, you know, he just does it. And I'm like, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, Yeah,
0: That's exactly how he does. And one thing I find interesting about Andy Partridge, how he is able to explain how he writes a song. There are so many songwriters who say it just came from um, out of nowhere, or but he's really able to articulate from uh, as you say there, Jeff, from one step to the next step to the next step. Yeah. this is how I put the song together, and he seems all too happy to talk about the songwriting process because he can articulate it very well.
3: He's not one of those guys that says I'm just an antenna and the songs come to me. He's, he's
2: definitely right. not. <laughs> definitely not one of those guys. He's pretty amazing in the in the you know in those moments. And the other thing about them, I think that I really dig is there's a, this tribal drumming kind. A tribal rhythm thing always there that really, I think, came to fruition on, on, on English Settlement or more found its kind of way and stayed for a few records at English Settlement.
0: That's something I want to bring up a little bit later when we're talking about one of the it's, songs. One of the, I
2: always I'll, eat the cookies before the... <laughs> the-
0: <laughs> yeah, I see. No, no, I definitely um, want to come to back to that because there there is one song in particular on the album that is very much of that tribal drumming. Yeah, vasology. I
2: was, I think I was, and I'm just re- referencing that this and as a, it's sort of a partnership to your explanation of the band where you said it was dissonance and melody, and I would put the dissonance and melody on one side together, you know, like the the combination of that plus the tribal thing equals mm. you know XTC, you and know, just a lot of the rhythms are represented on the guitars too. They're almost African guitar type rhythms. Absolutely, which with his weird chords,
0: yeah. You know? well, that's that's something that. I sort of wanted to bring into the discussion of the album, but their music in general is that, yes, when we tend to think of rhythm with a band, yeah, it comes down to the drum kit and the bass. But because I think, you know, both of you already gone and said that Andy and Dave Gregory, I guess, to an extent, their guitar styling is mm-hmm. all about that you know, very angular, very staccato style of guitar playing. And mm-hmm. the rhythm is as much due to what they do as it is to what Terry Chambers and Colin Moulding do. Mm-hmm. Sure. Terry Chambers'
3: job in that band, I think, especially on an album like Black Sea, is to sort of hold it together. It's like what, what Pete Townsend says about the Who. He he couldn't really do much because he had John Entwistle on uh, one side of him and Keith Moon behind him, and all he could do to <laughs> hang on for dear life was just play big chords. And I think yeah. you know, uh, Terry in XTC is a bit like that. He gets a bit more creative on this album, but really before that, he's just whacking it out and everything yeah, else. He's like uh, a pu-
2: like a pub drummer, you know. Just, <laughs> he just- is. Yeah. And yet he's still very,
0: very creative. he He does have to keep it together, but he's not just doing one and two, to
2: three four one, no, two, three. Oh, yeah oh, which again, you know, drums and wires is certainly the point where he starts to open yeah. up and do all, you know the, the Nigel part and all the cool things you know start happening there. the
4: first time I saw you standing there.
0: early albums, the albums which had Barry Andrews on keyboard, because they came in during that whole what was classified New Wave period, which is a label I never really cared for because there were so many bands that came under that umbrella, and it yeah. never truly explained to the uninitiated, you know, maybe 30 years down the track you're trying to explain to someone, oh, well, New New Wave was this, but, you know, XTC sounded nothing like Spandau Ballet sounded nothing like early Joe Jackson and uh, Elvis Costello and uh, Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding are on the record of having said that they never cared for I guess the new wave or more like the the punk tag I think uh, Jeff you might have already said it that that you dig that punk energy and yet there was a link to there was a prog link and Andy I think he's on record as saying that he was a huge fan of prog music which was yeah, something that it, yeah. most most mm-hmm. punk uh, musicians would said that they were rebelling against. True. There was uh, never going to be a, a punk fan at the time. I mean, maybe nowadays it's different, but you, who would say that they that they dug Emerson, Lake and Palmer or, or Genesis? This <laughs> right. is something that they were rebelling Nobody against. Nobody
3: cares anymore. They rode in on the back of that punk, you know, after punk that thing. There, they were. Yeah. They took. They saw that opportunity, I think, and and got on it real quick, and then got off <laughs> yeah. it real
2: quick. <laughs> yeah, and now it's forty years on. You know, and the good shit remains. You know, I
3: mean, <laughs>
2: yeah, that's the right. stuff that was really good from that time is still there. The hoosker doo whatever came up but in the 80s you know they had that you know they also that was the video the, the start of the videos and, and the new wave thing was you see I'll tell you I, you know where I grew up in Omaha Nebraska you know I mean, there was you know everything was underground and, and we, we didn't get cable you know for till 1980 something and we finally got cable and, and I could see MTV but that wasn't where I heard XTC I was hearing shit in the record store or a, a friend would turn me on to it somehow like I said my brother turned me on to the Big Express and I don't know where he I think he probably heard it playing in the record store or something and said oh it's cool and bought it you know it's funny Um,
3: funny, jeff that you're talking about um, um, nebraska being a backwater to two guys from australia (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah well i know you guys are are not exactly in I, the thick of it either but
3: on one hand the guys that were into this kind of music even in sydney where i was then i'm not into any anymore. but yeah it's still it was still very much an underground thing
2: sure sure and i and i suppose my point is that you know that that the new wave label was sort of consistent with the, i remember it with the birth of mtv and i remember playing yeah. in a band in omaha and they were they were this band they were called the persuaders and they were gonna they were doing new wave covers and whatever the crap you know a flock of seagulls or the producers or all these dumb little bands that were playing on mtv and, and and they're like yeah but you'd have to get a punk haircut you know and i was like oh you know? <laughs> yeah so what could i fine. do to my hair you know to make it stupid <laughs> like all these guys i never got in the band anyway they were all right i just i was just a little shrimp <laughs> i probably i still like the prog i was i still loved Rush and yes and <laughs> <so> <laughs> anyway yeah so finding that stuff you know was you know that's where i just went to the store and started buying all the XTC records there were, you know.
3: It was a very exciting time to listen to music, that that kind of uh, cusp between Mm -hmm. the end of punk rock and the beginning of, like, all that new romantic stuff, which was... That's the sort of stuff that sent me running, screaming towards blues and <laughs> roots right. Um But in between there, all these bands that you've mentioned, some of them already like XTC and uh, the Gang of Four and, right. and Joe Jackson, and uh, they were very creative, but with lots of energy. The songs were nice and short. There, there weren't many epics or anything. Those bands tended to avoid that. So it was a, just a very vibrant time to be listening to music. Well,
0: <laughs> years ago I went and read Joe Jackson's biography, A Cure for Gravity. It ended just as he got the record. Contract for Look Sharp, and like he basically said the, the same thing that a lot of these bands said, which was we love the energy of punk, but our musical chops were way big. And you know Joe Jackson was is certainly one of those guys who says come along with musical chops or get off the pot, which is something that something which I, I basically want to smack him at the back of the head for. He was classically trained, I think, in yeah. percussion, not in piano, at um, yeah. at the London Hall. London Academy yeah. of Music, and but he was drawn. Away. like he'd been playing in all these covers bands and things like that and then he just sort of got swept away with the energy of punk but was wanting to use the chops that he had and I mean you listen to albums like Look Sharp and I'm the yeah. Man and he uses piano but only sporadically it's it,
2: true it's very it's very much that trio playing and, and the piano makes appearances you tend to think put in your mind more of him like a piano man but those first few records was
3: mostly guitar based
2: drums yeah, definitely a right, right, three right. piece
3: the chords are very they're still sophisticated it's, it's yeah. sometimes they're, they're hidden because it's played with such you know, power sure. and speed. I mean,
2: but... it was, yeah, written on piano, obviously, and yeah. orchestrate, <laughs> yeah. orchestrated for the bass and the, and the guitar, you know? Yeah, and that's that right. cool. Yeah. That's how we got that cool sound. So coming back to the XTC. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that
0: out. Coming back to the early couple of albums, we're talking about that whole new wave, early punk period. Those first couple of albums, which I I think it was uh, you, Shane, that mentioned, uh, white music and go-to. And, yeah. that, I mean, they're still great, but they do sound very much a product of their time, you know, with Barry Andrews. Yeah.
2: Yeah, a whole uh, different
0: band. Organ playing, which sort of really does recall the whole Steve Naive thing on those yeah. early yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. attractions albums. And yet, what they're also coming through there is their strong sense of it's it's sixties sounding in a lot of ways, but without it being a pastiche like the Dukes of Stratosphere went into. So it got songs like right. uh, Into the Atom Age. 60s flavored, catchy pop vibe, but it doesn't sound as obvious as the Dukes of Stratosphere, which is paying tribute to its influence. It's just saying, right, well, this is taking the spirit of those 60s pop songs and distilling it into this song. And what I mentioned before about melodicism and dissonance, this is pop is the song that epitomises that for me.
4: Action But couldn't say I'm not Jukeboxy Election. Why do you call
0: <laughs> musically dissonant with chord structures I certainly wouldn't have predicted if I was listening to it again for the yeah. first time mm-hmm. and the chorus is more perky, melodic pop and it also embraces the spirit of the 60s with that us versus them you know, what is this stuff that you're listening to and they're loudly and defiantly singing this is pop mm-hmm. that just embraces everything that is brilliant about those first
3: couple of albums in, that, in one song Yeah, yeah. Are You Receiving Me is another one like that It's just... It's oh, same yeah. formula in a way It's, it's got this the, the chorus kind of just It's like getting Kind of cool water poured on you After being, yes. being really hot and sweaty it's, It just comes in And it sort of Makes everything alright again And then but That's a thing they do a lot mm-hmm. they, they, they do like their Kind of choruses mm. And they like, they like To use other parts of the song To do their weird stuff on It's, yes. it's quite smart really
2: well, they're, they're very smart songwriters.
3: Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah,
2: funny that. <laughs> mm, yes, yeah. indeed. And so uniquely calling at the same time, but sort of like when you first hear the Beatles, you, you, you're not sure who sing, whose voice is whose, you know, it takes you yeah. a little while to realize, and then eventually you you know you know in a nanosecond. Look, I, yeah.
0: I, I think in the early days of me really sort of becoming a fan, it, it was it was a little difficult except for where Andy would go really over the top and do that whole type of thing
4: yeah yeah sure but, yeah yeah
0: but when he was just singing regularly then yeah it would be difficult for me to tell the difference between yeah. the, the two of them
4: they
2: had this decidedly spastic sound you know on the first two <laughs> records and it was and, you know it was largely that farfisa, yeah right, right and it, it's just in that like that's what harkens the 60s out of it I guess but but then there were those funky moments like that I mean the brilliant cover of all along
3: No, that's brilliant. Yeah, no.
2: they just tore it apart you know which i mean how many covers have they done on record since i don't even know i don't yeah i think that's probably the only time they covered it too yeah on a studio op. yeah but you know go to just sounds like a logical next record very much like the first one and you know things really didn't start happening with them kind of like like the beatles say about revolver george harrison does you know rubber soul revolver was where things started happening and i think like yeah. drums and wires and black sea was where things started happening for them.
0: Well, I think that Drums and Wires sort of has a foot in both camps. It's saying mm. we want to move on, but we still are who we are, and, and there's a lot of stuff on Drums and Wires that I think right. could have fitted in on those first two albums.
2: Yeah, there's moments
0: for sure. I think there's, songs, there's, songs there's... like Helicopter or Living Through Another Cube it could have fitted on those first two albums. It's not that spiky sound. I mean, even without Barry Andrews being available on on that album, but there's still something about it that sounds very sharp, very angular.
3: There's dissonance. Yeah. never really stopped doing that. Yeah. Yeah. They always had that. Just Steve Lillywhite,
2: you know, was the real addition that kind of probably brought drums and wires uh, into Mm -hmm. a new realm, you know, working with a real producer like him.
0: What are your favorite cuts off drums and wires or Black Sea? And, And where's there a song that you think, okay, this is something different for them?
3: Towers of London off Black Sea is the one where I just thought that there were able to bring what they were doing uh, before and mix it with just this more immediate... love the subject matter you know who else would write a song about when you look around the magnificent buildings of london realize that, that it was just built by irish navvies <laughs> just as, in, uh, i mean who writes songs about those kinds of things except him you know it's just mm-hmm. amazing i used to listen to the radio through my stereo when i was young and i had my stereo on each side of my bed and just i'd never had anything like that because I'd already made a couple of records by that stage. Just never heard drums sounding like that before. And it wasn't that 80s, oh, too much drums, too much reverb. It was just, I think it was where they were recorded. So big and uh, roomy. Just that that song and then that made me go and buy that album because I, I had drums and wires, but yeah, I loved that album, and especially that song.
0: Jeff, so you'd already heard the Big Express, so you already maybe had that mindset right. of them being a certain type of band. But when you went back to the early albums, did you think that there was a moment in drums and wires or Black? See that you thought, okay, this is them trying something different to what they've done before.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Drums and Wires has things like, you know, complicated game. Mm-hmm. pretty uh, intense tune, and the big drums are, ha- are starting to happen a little bit. You know, again, it's very dissonant and angry, much like those first two. There were moments on that record that stuff like Roads Girl of the Globe, and they're cool, but yeah, no, I there's a bigger progression further on to, to Black Sea, and like Shane was saying, you know, I mean, Towers of London is great song and just that that they recorded wherever that in some castle and, and they and a real natural room sounded yeah. in a time when everybody was smashing digital reverbs and in, in your face and 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 they just made a nice breathing natural the guitar tones are huge and oh yeah and, and yeah the writing is progressing it's sort of and then you know lyrically he he also gets that thing that Ray Davies pioneered you know of just writing about growing up in London and suburban London and, and yeah. just looking out the window and you know there's the couple across the street you know respectable street is yeah, almost
3: yeah, that's a great song, almost,
2: yeah. almost a kinks you know type of lyric
0: absolutely um, i mean this this is something that i wanted to talk about which was the fact that i've always considered xtc to be a very english sounding band like the kinks yes and yet it, with ray davies it was always because he wrote about very english things like you know coming home in time for tea and pay, poking uh-huh. the nose into what the were doing and xtc the sunday roast the sunday roast, right? absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that XTC do that sort of thing on every song, and yet across the board, no. they sound like a very English-sounding band, and I can't yeah. quite put my finger always on it. Why? Even if you took the lyrics away, they still sound like an English band. It sounds like an English production of the time. Yeah. It couldn't have come out of the States, or it couldn't have come from
3: here. There always seems to be an English band that does that, don't there? I mean, yeah, you can trace a line between the kinks, XTC, and Blur. Blur. And they all have similar, well, not so much the kinks, because they were very influenced by R&B, but, and folk music that kind of angular thing the blur got into a little bit too very musical kind of song structure and it's ongoing, there's a there's a band in England now called Everything Everything that they're doing very much the same kind of thing mm. and yeah. check them out, they're really good
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about the production the sound, they have already sort of gone and alluded to how big the drums sound on a lot of these records and yet what they were so good was they went song by song because you find that there will be some songs on the album that sound a little bit more padded, like they're in a small room. They don't Mm -hmm. all sound big and anthemic and stadium like. And that's certainly the case with English Settlement, which we'll get to to eventually, uh, listening audience. (laughs) We are here for that.
2: Yeah, who were we talking
0: about? (laughs) The Beatles, I think.
4: Yeah,
0: (laughs) But there there are some songs that you think, wow, this is the sort of thing that you can imagine people getting their lighters out and their arms up in the air and singing mindlessly in a big stadium for and yet there are other songs which do sound a lot more personal. And that's something that I really appreciate about the production style. They still sound 80s and yet not because mm. they paid attention. What does this song need? I imagine that as they went further yeah. on, the albums took a lot longer to produce. Yeah. We, know, we know the horror stories later of
2: working with Todd
0: Rundgren, <laughs> yeah. but oh, I imagine God, that yeah. every album was an experience of was one of, of my hugest
2: sort. influences. In my, you know, when, when Skyliking came out, I hit the roof because I was just such a Todd fan. I
4: can't hold you now. If you
2: I still am in a certain yeah. I had to gravitate away I mean, <laughs> I'm mean i going to admit some geeky shit I mean that's the only one I ever subscribed to the fan letter <laughs> I seriously did but uh, he's, a monster. You know, he's amazing he is you know and there's that period particularly of record making that was just still blows my mind every time there's a melody and some chord changes that are interesting and yeah. <laughs> can sing
3: and you'll St- be in, St- music. yeah
2: yeah I mean you know what's the alternative
3: it's like some house crap I don't know. Uh, yeah if it's
2: it's if you if some people are saying, Todd, Bad of Beatles,
3: you're like, okay, we're on the right path. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know. Certainly by English Settlement, the, the huge drum thing had become secondary. I think. Um, it's on a few songs, but yeah. like you say, Morris, it's there's lots more padded drums and uh, just rhythmic feels, which I think might be due to the fact that they had stopped touring and they didn't need to have big, massive stadium songs because they weren't doing right. anything like that. Well, so I,
0: I, I think the, that they actually hadn't formally declared that they were going to stop touring for English Settlement, but you know, Andy got that thing where I think his wife of the time had gone and flushed his, his anxiety girls, medication yeah. down the toilet yeah. on the tour that was supposed to be promoting English Settlement but it was uh, after that
3: see, I thought it was like Sea I thought it was before no me. no no yeah.
0: they, they intended yeah. although I think Andy had said he was bored with the idea of touring by English settlement, but they hadn't actually said enough. It wasn't until that tour that I think he said, "All right, no, fuck this, no more."
3: Yeah, well, maybe that was precursor. Like maybe that was in his own head. He was kind of precursing that by making music that. See, I I think a lot of these songs can't be played live to any great. Yeah,
2: certainly not with a four-piece band.
3: Lots of acoustic guitars and just rhythms that just wouldn't go across to a crowd. And well, I guess we'll get to some of those songs. They're some of my favourite songs on the album, so it doesn't really matter to me... Right.
0: Look, I yeah. heard an interview with Colin Moulding. Might have been on another podcast where... I think it was Colin who said that... Terry had left the band after English Settlement I think he's like on a couple of cuts on Mama uh, basically because Andy wanted to sort of explore different dynamics and be a little bit more gentle and because Terry was a thumper that's where he said no no more and I think that's probably selling him a little bit short Mm. Uh, there are songs on English Settlement where there is some level of delicacy I mean maybe not in a jazz sense but but certainly it shows that he wasn't just a big big thumper all the time he liked that but I think that's possibly selling them a little bit short but certainly as you go through the albums and we continue on the progression i mean i don't know whether it's a beatlesque type of progression like from please mm. please me to let it be in that sense but certainly band that recorded go to is not the same right. band that gets Inked to English settlement and is certainly not the same band that recorded apple venus exactly no, no.
2: Million, it's it's million an arc plus. i think that is is worthy of comparison to the beatles because i don't I, I can't think of too many other bands that grew i mean maybe arguably radiohead has had that mm. kind of growth over the first three records, certainly, my God! I mean, <laughs> you know, the band that did the Bends was not the band that did Pablo Honey, right? right you right. know, and then of course, OK Computer was another step. You know, so it was like, wow, but, yeah. I think that uh, they have an arc of progression that is unlike uh, anyone other than maybe the
3: Beatles. It's similar to the Beatles, I think, in some ways. In that they started being when they started, they were quite faddish. Uh, you know, they were just doing in a way their own little way, but really, what right. well, what, what was going on at the time?
2: Yeah, what you got to do when yeah. you started? Absolutely, it's what you do. Yeah. You got to play. You got to people want to hear and <laughs> figure that yeah, out yeah of
3: course it's, well, they were just young guys you know they weren't mm-hmm. you know they weren't jaded they were just guys who were just pulling in things from everywhere but i remember an interview with terry after he joined dragon uh, you probably don't know this jeff but he he came he married an australian girl and he came to australia and he joined this band called dragon who were not like H D C. they were a sort of a sophisticated pop band a bit like pablo cruz but with better lyrics And he said, I had to leave XTC because I, I didn't like the songs they were writing anymore. That's my Swindon <laughs> That's accent <that>. there. <laughs> there was more and more control being put over him. And I think he I yeah. think he might have reacted badly to that as well.
2: Yeah, he said in the movie that just the tour, not touring is what really caused him to yeah,
3: yeah.
2: leave, you know. He's yeah. like, I don't know why a musician would not want to tour. That was his direct reason in the film. But,
3: so oh. if you've never had a panic attack on stage, you wouldn't you wouldn't understand. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know.
3: It's, yeah, it's, it's, there's it's... footage of him, I don't know if it's on YouTube, I saw it on an, an earlier documentary where you can see him just struggling and then just running off. And it's, yeah. uh, as somebody who's in the past had anxiety issues and had a couple of attacks on stage it's horrible wow you know, and it, I can't imagine it's, it's, the, it's the ultimate melody of the control freak you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which, 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 I, which I'm sure Andy Partridge is to a lot of <clears throat> oh absolutely in, in, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I think on the record <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: So let's talk a little bit about the album, well not a little bit, let's talk a lot about the album because that's what we're ostensibly what we're here for in a way it's probably a bit of a stretch to say that this is a concept album but I think that there has been a suggestion which I will definitely subscribe to to say that this is a take on modern life and this is actually sort of one other thing about progression from the early albums to this album is that there's a lot of socially conscious stuff which that was starting to get into which was not in the early days but this album covers such delightful subjects as you know domestic violence and Islam (laughs) and really?
3: Yeah, well, on one of the songs they. But if we get to that song. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well,
0: so there's domestic violence and uh, there's the destruction of historical artifacts in the name yeah. of progress. I guess maybe it's a sister song to Towers of London in that regard. Yeah. Laziness in alignment with technology, and that's maybe you know, that song is way ahead of its time. Yeah. Uh, fascism and feeling overwhelmed with modern life. So I, once again, not necessarily a concept album, but lyrically there are these yeah. running themes Pop- which go very
2: well with each other. Yeah, certainly their most cohesive record lyrically. Mm. Mm. It's like traveling through a little town, all the dark characters and things. <laughs> looking under the rug and all these things. I think yeah. it's a better
3: concept album than a lot of albums that purport to be concept albums and say that yeah. like you said, Morris, that every song so tackles a, a, an element of being at that time in the world you know yep it's quite a big thing to tackle and i think they do you know they have a good stab at it <laughs> and,
2: and, yeah there's not like only like love songs or anything there are songs on it which
0: though we, we tend to sort of think of you know andy as this very downbeat sort of guy uh or at least very serious sort of thinking sort of guy mm. and yet when you think about something like senses working overtime that's really a very optimistic song well, yeah. yeah, there's shit things in the world and yeah. yet everything's just a sense to me. You know, you've got to take the bitter with the sweet and I tend to be optimistic about it. And mm-hmm. So really, yeah. when you think about it, that's actually a very optimistic sort of song.
3: I always tend to think of it as an information overload kind of song. Um, and, you know, he says in the he's trying to taste the difference between lemon and lime. It's almost like, he, you know, um, he's... There's so much coming in, and that might be a joyful thing, but it's also making him a little bit confused. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's not not a, not a depressing song particularly. It certainly has elements of confusion in it too.
2: Yeah, but was their biggest single over here for their first. I think some, yeah, until Dear God in America, that was the song that built them on MTV and stuff. Yeah, and. In that film, he talks about writing that one. If you recall, he was—he I think he—you know—he really wanted to blatantly get a single.
1: <laughs> as and that. so he was thinking
2: of songs. He's like, "What do I got to do? I got to write something very simple." Okay, what's simple? A B C, you know, like the Jackson yeah. Five. Well, okay, what about one two three? Well, okay, one two three four five. <laughs> what have I got? Five of? senses. Huh. Okay, so and then he took that and ran with you know that and got obviously a brilliant single. But I think he was blat- you know he's blatantly going for that kind of thing despite the fact that his brilliant dissonances there and that guitar yeah.
4: part, and, yeah, yeah. and
2: uh, rhythmically, it's very interesting, but it's it's a great, great pop song. I, mean, just, oh, I,
4: you know. Know,
0: I think he said in that same thing that he wanted to go, he starts off with that dissonant guitar feel, which is sort of medieval, and then he brings right. it with the band into modern times, so making a connection between the old and the new.
2: Yeah. Right, and he felt like that was like a shepherd. That sounded like a shepherd walking around his flock, so that's kind right, he's right. the food for the innocents and the can all sleep and
3: all that. Yeah, the, the pre-chorus is very much like, it reminds me of The Who. You know, it's got this kind of power chord with the, the right. suspended, the oh. suspended uh, fourths in it, the, which The Who, obviously, almost mm-hmm. own, and then into, into that chorus. And that's really, it's funny you, uh, you were saying that about the one, two, three, because oh, that's obviously how his mind works. He said, I'll, I'll start with something simple. One, two, three, yeah, that's cool. But then obviously his mind just suddenly goes into the sensors, which is right. not, not particularly a commercial kind of thing to think about, so he just... It's, it's got a skewed mind that yeah. just works for and against him sometimes, I think, but there in this song, wow, it's just a perfect match.
0: Well, yeah. there's a lot about this album that melodically you, you could sort of say, yeah, okay. It's got a commercial sense to it, or at least a sense for someone who might only listen to commercial music, but has a sense of adventurousness that they want to yeah. go a bit further. But lyrically, there's some very dark places oh, yeah. here as we'll, we'll get to, but before we sort of get into specific songs, I did want to bring up, there's something that we, sort of discussed a little bit before we started recording and that is the one album versus two albums so you know here here in Australia we had right from the outset the double album but I think it might have been in America was it because it was released on Geffen Records and they said no let's just make Uh this a single album so they did the unthinkable and made the double white album a single album
4: Um,
2: and what they omitted was Fly on the Wall and Leisure
3: and what's the other one there's a couple yeah Um, there'd have to be a few wouldn't there
2: I think there's about yeah.
0: four or five songs which they cut off but I've never listened to it as the single album track listing. I mean I could have easily sort of gone and programmed the CD to yeah. play write just those songs but I haven't sort of brought myself to do that but Jeff I take it you've heard it as a
2: single album as well as, as a double album there were a lot of their records they did that too oh really um, in the states yeah I didn't have At The Hop on Drums and Wires I didn't have uh, there's two or three songs on that weren't on the munger there's you know there's a number of songs that they just didn't release here because of for that reason i guess they just weren't as popular so they didn't want to press up double records for the states because they didn't think they'd sell
0: that's a very Um, american concept because the first seven beatles albums released around the rest of the world were made into 11 albums i think in america everything up to revolver Hmm. was you had no more songs than the rest of the world but by juggling things around it just yeah very strange concept they even taking yeah. business considerations yeah. into account but the Beatles yeah, and the
3: Stones both suffered from that that their, their, their albums mm-hmm. weren't released as they intended as they made them they were made they're were, they were all messed with uh, yeah. for the American market I, I'm saying that with quotation marks in the air because I don't think it would have made a difference really but just another I reason am. to love david geffen isn't it you know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not, not so, giving but, you the double album of, of, of english settlement thanks david yeah. i
2: know so yeah what else yacht, <laughs> yacht dance was not on mine and down all ah, M- right yeah. knuckle down so i don't really know that still to this day those songs are not very familiar to
4: me mm.
3: okay so there's that mm. <laughs>
4: there's yeah
2: that.
3: well i i mean i still i think morris you might remember i i, I often post where i'm listening to on vinyl on facebook and i did post that i still own my original double um english settlement that's that's got a serial number on the back of it, like you know. Um, they and yeah, I mean, I don't really sell anything, so I've got stuff from back then and even before then. I still got some prog albums from when I was wow. a young lad, and I just don't never got rid of anything. Being like type, you know, yeah. And so I've only ever listened, except for I listened to um, English Element on, on the way to the gig last night in the car, just through streaming. But generally, I've only ever listened to it on vinyl on on that particular double album version. Yeah, it's just the cover itself is just so iconic. Yeah.
2: Now I have another copy somewhere that the record store nearby had a whole bunch, a whole, a lot of the catalog, really nice pressings that looked like they hadn't been played. Mm. Uh, I think they were American,
3: though. I can't remember. Mm. Yeah, you should try but and get hold of that. Uh, if, if you play vinyl, Jeff, you should try and get hold of the one of the English or Australian copies. It's, yeah. Uh,
2: well, this is the double record with everything on it. It's oh, okay. not a, right. a gatefold. Oh, the original no, one there, wasn't a gatefold to begin? No. no, no, no. But it has the lyric
3: sheet and everything yeah, yep. in, the, in the, the original. And you do need a lyric sheet, with, especially with Andy's voice, because he's garbled. <laughs> he, even at this stage, he's still garbling his words a lot. He's not doing it as much as he did earlier on, but he still d- does a lot of that kind of over enunciating to kind of push i think being a what i would call a non-singer but still you know a lot of my favorite yeah. singers are non-singers but non-singers well have he has
2: so much them. word the word play thing that he likes yeah. to mess around with you know like yeah might uh, might give you black eyes and yeah, skid yeah. on black ice
3: and you know. yeah yeah oh he's lots of that yeah he, he yeah. loves playing, playing with his english language that's for sure Yeah, sure yes
0: in terms of it being a double album I've sort of gone and classified it side by side so mm-hmm. we got side one which I tend to lump in as the more musically poppy and yeah. e- easily accessible side two of the album is the more acoustic based I mean they cross over a bit but just yeah, for yeah. sake of discussion side 3 is the side that focuses by my way of thinking, more on rhythm over melody, and I've got to say, probably my least favourite of the four sides, and side four is where they sort of have a tilt more so than anywhere else on the album at reggae, but none of the songs sound like the same sort of reggae beat. We'll get to that eventually. In terms of rhythmic songs, and I mentioned this before, I meant rhythmic as in terms of the stuff that Andy is doing on guitar, Mm. or maybe Dave Gregory is doing on tone. I think one really good example of that is the opening cut on the album, which is Runaway. wasn't wrapped with having two Colin Moulding songs open no. the album. I mean, can you imagine if like Abbey Road had started out with Here Comes the Sun and something before getting to Maxwell's Silver Hammer, you know, would have it it wouldn't have made McCartney look very good in fact, possibly it still doesn't. But besides being a really melodically strong opening cut with a hugely heartbreaking lyric, and I've always always sort of gone and seen this song as maybe like a a darker cousin to uh, She's Leaving Home by The Beatle Absolutely. Um, What really stands out for me is the rhythm guitar work and that comes out to another thing about the production on this album and on XTC albums in general, because often the rhythm guitar sounds to me like it's been buried in the mix you know it's there but mm. for a lot on this song and on other songs on the album, the rhythm guitar it, it, there's a sparseness about it and they very deliberately want you to hear what's going on here it's because I mm. think the rhythm guitar work tells the story so we hit the, the whole notion of the runaway girl from the family and we get this sound that almost sounds like the, the wheels of a car or a truck on the road mm. that the runaway is Leaving home on that. She's hitched a lift on da 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 and then when you get to the no if you want to call them the bridges rather than the verses, mm. you get this da da dum, da ba dum and it's more it's yeah. more violent. It, it sounds more violent to me and that reflects the lyric about why it is that she's leaving home mm. in the first place. So it everything yeah. is so deliberate i mean we, you guys were saying earlier on about how andy very much focuses on his lyric and his compositional style and, and the melody everything's very deliberately but i'm also thinking very much here that well colin as well is focusing on the arrangement you know, mm-hmm. it, it could have been it could be yeah we'll just play this chord in any old way but that's not the case and what reflects the lyric very well or maybe They said, we have this great rhythm that we want to do. What would be a good lyric that goes with that? But what excites me is just how very deliberate everything is.
3: This sounds like a song that he, like, this is a Colin song, isn't it? So it sounds like he might have just written it very simply on on an acoustic guitar. Then the band got hold of it. Started kind of decorating it. So it sort of sounds like a very, in a way, quite a simple song if you break it down. Yeah.
2: I think the bare yeah. bones of a lot of Collins songs are, are very simple.
3: Yeah. He's just more that kind of guy on the guitar.
2: I think more of a, fun, probably more of a functioning songwriter on guitar. Yeah. Than, you know, yeah, more,
3: more McCartney esque songwriter. Yeah, exactly. But I, but but I think he's
2: certainly I, on the bass too. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, absolutely. I don't think that he's as,
0: he gets as complex as Andy does, but I still no. think that there's some level of genius in what he does. And oh, I don't yeah. think that. Well, 100 uh, There's no yeah. a, a starting guitar player wouldn't necessarily be able to play what he does. This is a very accomplished yeah. musician. It's it's simple yeah. but not simplistic.
3: Yeah, but we don't know how it sounded when he wrote it, you know, like th- those acoustics are played by Dave and Andy. Um, yep. I don't know, this is just a theory I've got. I mean, my main thought about this song is it sort of sets up the album com- it, it tells you that it's not Going to be your normal XTC I album mean, because it's kind of got lots of acoustic guitars and it. it's sort of saying yeah. you're going to be hearing lots of acoustic guitars on this album, so uh, settle down and uh, get ready for that. <laughs> yeah. You might have said knuckle then. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Sorry. Okay. I've always
2: associated it with a nice sheen of acoustic over this.
3: Record, yeah. Sure. Yeah.
2: But on this now in this listing here, guys, it says that Dave only played Prophet Five on the record. Right.
3: On the insert. On this song.
2: So on Runaways. Okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Dave so anti, there's, two, there's definitely two acoustics on there, aren't there? Andy played
2: electric and. Semi acoustic and then electric twelve and mini Korg. All right. That's what it's. That's the credits on the record,
3: anyway. All right. All right. Just, the semi-acoustic might be. I don't know. It might be a big-bodied because there's definitely a mic acoustic guitar on there. Yeah. Oh, you know, oh, yeah. that could
2: be. Um, that's a cool thing to do. Is just to 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 play a 335 on a microphone on a ramp. <laughs> yeah. And you
3: yeah, might have done stole, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I've done that. I I've put a mic in front of my 330 while I've been just as a, li- a little bit of texture. I don't know if I used it, but I did it.
2: <laughs> I know, but, yeah. You got to try yeah. it. Yeah. You did it. was a King King Crimson track where they just have an un unplugged electric solid body that you can just hear really thin i tried that once on something <laughs> all right like just to crank it up in the mix you know and compress it but it's unplugged electric it's kind of cool and, so what
0: was, and, what was that king crimson track Jack?
2: man i don't know it's on one of the colored records one of the blue discipline or beat i can't remember the song it's just like a little break in the middle of a song and this guitar thing happens and it's you know and that's a think speaking about them that's another band that used their guitars in a, in a very you know counterpunnel way like XTC oh, yeah. guitars yeah. you know i mean to to a grander extent because they're both such phenomenal freaks i mean mm. with XTC, you have andy who just plays like andy and then you have dave who's like a real guitar player yeah you know he's just a musician like you just played keyboards on runaway because yeah. yeah. He knew there's
3: nothing else needed, so I'll just put this part out or whatever.
2: <laughs> Someone's you know? against so, serving the song. Yeah, and that's what a great
3: musician does, you know. <laughs> I don't know what it what, what instrument it is, but it sounds like a, a tack piano at the end. Uh, yes, which is one of my favourite bits of this yeah. song. Sort of reminds me of the end of uh, Magical Mystery Tour. It's that kind of almost Beatlesque kind of.
2: That's uh. Looks like something Colin played on on the piano.
3: Yeah.
0: I love the (laughs) fact that they don't overdo it. They just sort of think here's just a little bit of flavor for you. And they could have said, Oh, this sounds great. Let's put this all over the song. But they never did because they are servers
3: of the song. Yeah. It's a lovely moment in that song, though. It's just magical.
2: When there is this compositionally rich, you know, you can't really. There's not a lot of room for tons of parts. Otherwise, you're gonna. you lose it, you know. You'll lose the yeah. composition, and which right. is Andy's and case is on that guitar and has to be the yeah. focal point. Otherwise, you can take apart, like we were saying with the Joe Jackson thing, and you transfer the piano arrangement to the trio. And but I don't think Andy's tunes, you know, you need his wacky guitar. Nah.
3: No. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right though. It's, it's it's definitely they're very smart about where they put things, and too much of that piano would have been like too much sugar. You know, it would have uh-huh. um, spoiled the song. But just where it is there, it's, it's noticeable. I notice it when it comes when it comes on
0: and i'm wondering whether this is an intentional thing but on the certainly on the double album i know it's not the case on the single album but the placement of runaway's at the very beginning of the first record and Snowman at the end of the second record Terry mm. Chambers is playing a, a very very similar drum pattern and I'm just wondering whether that was like you know two bookends yes we've taken it through here and this is where we're finishing and yeah. it's sort of yeah. uh, rhythmically where we started but I want to bring up Snowman again later on so maybe go into yeah. it a little bit more yeah, down, never, down the
2: track I never tied that together though that's interesting it is a mm. it is a similar vibe that, 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 but that, they did that the in sing, the single record here had, and started and ended with us uh, I, I think was it Snowman
0: was like the end of side one of the single record was it or or was it, or did uh, it end
2: up in the middle? Of it? no I think Jason and the Argonauts was the end of side one alright oh, okay and okay. then uh I don't remember what started the song. I had a cassette somewhere of it. Mm. That, was, that was actually, I think, my first copy. I bought a, a pre-made cassette, uh, a, you know, an American cassette release.
0: Right, right. Because
2: <laughs> I just listened to stuff in the car all the time. The other song I wanted to
0: bring up from a rhythmic perspective in terms of the guitar being the anchor of the rhythm is Yacht Dance. of songs from the album to illustrate that but i read something or maybe heard andy speaks about something in an interview which i found really quite fascinating and the instrumental element that brings out the dance the nylon string embellishments thrown throughout the song by dave gregory i think i read something where where he said that it's you know because this song is a waltz and andy had said that he saw the whole notion of how a yacht moves is very much like a dance. Mm. Uh, swaying in and out, it doesn't go straight, it moves in and out. It moves like two people doing a waltz. And mm. I just love how he thinks about that. And that yeah. nylon guitar that style of nylon guitar playing on that is very rhythmic very very staccato so it's yeah. so you know um, Terry's doing his job but for me the rhythm is carried on the nylon string guitar for that song
3: yeah it's another way the two acoustics work well together and those fills are pretty amazing my memory is that they're not mixed particularly high either the the nylon string fills
0: and this is another case where Andy is I think this is like the love song on the album yeah We're saying there is no well we dance like tiny, tiny boats, boats with carton sails Upon mm. the tops of the seas, made of people yeah. stained with scorn, who never see the light of real love. God, what a beautiful <laughs> yeah. lyric that is.
3: It's what all new lovers think, isn't it? That nobody else has ever felt like this. Not you, yeah. lot, anyway. You know, I've <laughs> never felt like this, yep. like us. So common, and you know, it, it kind of it, it articulates that really well. I think that kind of feeling that, that you know, maybe doesn't last that long.
2: Delirious <laughs> is the word, I think.
3: Mm.
2: <laughs> it is the word yeah. limerence
3: yeah that's that feeling yeah oh, is it really was oh, yeah, a term right. wow <laughs>
2: <laughs> I watch too much TV but I absorb so I
0: love the fact that this song is so positive I mean even if it is about new love the other song in Andy's back catalogue which espouses that same sense of positivity to me is in Grey which is possibly my favourite XTC song period but once again a long way from the early days, I don't think it would have fitted in on this album, but uh-huh. um, we, we, we toyed with the, the idea of discussing non-such, and maybe we'll come back to that at a later program. But mm. but yeah, just two examples of Andy being really, really positive. And for some reason, I don't associate that with him. I and mean, When you sort of think about Colin's songs, often Colin is the one who writes... Yeah, the the more dark material, and yet I never associate him with being dark. Maybe it's just because he never right. he never had a punch up with Todd Rundgren. I don't know. But.
2: He, well, <laughs> he did write a song called "Dying," though. So yeah, he liked
0: us. I, I think uh, was it in the in the film that he said no I don't think I really ever had a problem with uh, Todd or maybe it was like the podcast interview I heard him where he said no I don't think I ever really had so much of a problem with Todd that was more Andy's thing but Andy and Colin are now doing a he said she said she said he said sort of Mm. deal unfortunately at the moment so
3: well it's two control freaks isn't it really Todd and Andy you're not going to get get a smooth sailing relationship there unless one of them does a lot of compromising
2: well yeah and they, and they, and they come from opposed styles because Todd yeah. makes a record very fast I mean things yeah. happen
3: and he doesn't
2: deliberate he just dat that got it boom yeah yeah I mean, his, his production motto is if you if you know what you want I'll get it for you if you don't know what you want I'll do it for you yeah. so, <laughs> so and he you know he's got no time to waste he just gets That's why it a lot so, of his... and then Andy yeah. conversely moles options let's try this let's try that oh last night mm. I was thinking about this and come in the morning can we recut this and that, you know, and Todd was going bonkers because he was like, no we did it we got it it's mixed <laughs> it's mixed it's out you know? <laughs> it's out you know pretty much yeah. well his mix have you was seen another the... big issue they didn't like his mix which he did in one day yeah. yeah he mixed the whole album in one
3: day a lot of his albums do sound like that though Wizard is a true star does sound like War. That, War, you know?
2: that's a <laughs> yeah. Wizard is weird and some guy did re-release some of the Todd catalog and remastered him and, and uh, they sound real good because he's able to get some low end and they split Wizard onto two records yeah it's as, good a, idea. as it should have been you know yeah. But Todd was, again, pushing it because he went for an hour on initiation, you know, of music Mm. um, on one one disc.
3: I love Todd Runger, but some of his records don't sound the best to me. uh, uh, Yeah.
2: I think there's something
0: about this just about that early 70s sound. And I still find that really appealing. I mean, I I
4: Mm -hmm.
0: don't think I necessarily want them to sound any different to how they do. But maybe that's just because this is the sound that's been in my head for all, all those years. I'm trying to think of an album that I really love that just sounds yeah no i'd like to hear that redone i'm trying to think maybe it was the who's a quick one or something like that, that yeah, that's yeah. an exception but but those todd Rangren albums they yeah i mean they might have their limitations but i think that no, that's part of
3: the appeal as well oh, look oh, yeah. you know not all of them i, th- I think something anything sounds really good uh, i don't really know sure, why fantastic. but i don't think todd like todd i don't think sounds very good uh, maybe it's my, my pressings i don't know but i've heard them in lots of formats and there's just something about the mixes i think that just aren't he doesn't like bottom end very much and i do like a bit of a warm bottom end you know yeah but, but that's it's some they're still great albums i listen to them all the time but oh yeah totally but that's his yeah. thing yeah it's very yeah. it's very thin mm. production is not going to stop me listening to music i like it's just gonna correct sure oh, that could sound a bit better yeah <laughs> i think it all if we yeah. if any of us who make music do think that we can't help it yeah, yeah give I, me that <laughs> give me that wide album i want to remix it you know? <laughs> <laughs> i know
2: <laughs>
0: sounding thing the song that for me on this album really sounds the most kinks like is no thugs in our house and I love how they tell the story on this because it's not told from the perspective of the perpetrator and it's not no. told from the perspective of the victim it's no. uh, you know Graham the perpetrator of violence is or he's a side character in the yeah. song that is, a, is about him we get this song about the police coming into the house and saying to the parents well we believe that your son is a member of the National Front they never actually mm. say that it's that tattoo no. that that strange tattoo that they never really quite understood.
3: They sound like their middle-class, nice, mm. kind of closeted, aspidistra in the window tea at 5 kind of couple. And the, the boy's obviously gone very wayward by, yeah. by the
4: looks of it.
0: <laughs> the father is the judge who knows what the job of judging is all about. And we get that mm-hmm. final thing, well, no, sorry, there are still no thugs in our house. But it it's also sounds a little bit like a Charles Dickens story to me because they get... Lines, individual lines that tell you a whole heap of stuff that paragraphs Mm. and paragraphs wouldn't do. So you get the young policeman who just can't grow a mustache
2: will open up yeah. his
0: book and we, we know from that, right, he's young, he's inexperienced, afraid he's feeling awkward, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing and then we mm. know everything we need to know about the parents from that line and spoil their breakfast with reports of Asians who have been so badly kicked so we yeah. know about, well this is an inconvenience what the hell do we care about these people who are not English that's yeah. got nothing to do with us, nothing to do with our son and yeah. a very English perspective and just a brilliant piece of literature, almost. You all mm. get the feeling that Andy Patridge could have been like a novel writer if he hadn't been a songwriter.
3: Yeah, sure. That's a great lyric, that one. I I, I did highlight that one as being yeah so well turned and not not being too obvious um mm. i mean it's, it's obviously there was a trend in britain around this time in uh, it's a terrible term but packy bashing which is a thing yes. that young white men mm. used to do and it's the reason why a lot of asian men in britain are now the way they are because of that so it's mm. it's it's a precursor to all what's happening now a lot as are a lot of the songs on this album that so many of the issues they tackle <laughs>
2: yeah haven't gone they're away very poignant. they're yeah. very poignant you know i mean especially over here in, in this country i just think mm. i want to post melt the guns on my Facebook page almost every other day. Right. (laughs) too you know and there's just you do you realize just not much has changed (laughs) which you would have
0: have thought that someone who's in an anti-nra campaign would have contacted andy and said yeah can we use melt the guns as our theme
3: song Mm -hmm. yeah is it too extreme for for americans there because there are what's it's it's like a venn diagram with americans and guns isn't it like there's people who want the right to have a gun but want to be uh, quite support gun laws and licensing laws and and then you have people who just don't want any constrictions on gun ownership whatsoever. And then you got people who don't want any guns. But are they more in the minority? I would imagine. It's just like a very frustrating issue.
2: You can't tell people what to do. That's the other. Thing. You can't. it's America. You know. You can't. Yeah, tell you people. Can, yeah. And you know, whatever. I mean. <laughs> like, well, yeah, maybe but... we should tell you what to do because it's, 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 this is no good. You know, it's just, nah. it's just wavy, you know, just and and there's you know, the, the issues here just get so uh broad mm. stroked on whatever side you know that's whole taking away your guns. Like, no, it's not like that. Just yeah. want to make it really hard for people, especially those with mental issues, to get a yeah. gun. That's all yeah. we're trying to do. Make it really
3: hard to get a gun. It should be really fucking hard to get a gun, you know, to any common sense person, that just seems like like a no brainer you know Uh, yeah I mean yeah and uh, but not here
2: and uh, (laughs) but we were were built on guns you know Wild Wild West history is that's what it is man this country was built on the gun
0: there's this thing I found on YouTube of John Oliver talking with I can't remember if it was like the head of the NRA or some big wig in the NRA and this guy refused to accept any compromise he said look let me just give you some situations you know about, about things you might be prepared to compromise on them taking it long to for someone to get a license. Nope. Having a, a checkup on someone's back history. Nope. And there was just nothing that this guy would agree to. And he said, well, you know, in Australia, they went and just, like, within two, three months of them having one big uh, gun disaster. And um, I'm yeah. thinking back to um, Port Arthur in 96... We had a conservative government back then. We had like you know, our equivalent of the Republicans, and the prime minister there, who you know, was not very well liked in a lot of regards. But one great thing that he did was he said, "Right, fuck it, hand in your guns, and let's just get rid of them." And that that was hmm. it. And um, yeah. the, the NRA guy said, "Oh well, you know, that, that's Australia. They're, they're not like us. You know, they they don't yeah. they don't need it." And this. And, oh, I was thinking your your country will never give up the guns if there's no argument mm-hmm. that you can put in front of them where they say well you have a point but
3: is this song about personal gun ownership though or is it more about the military the, like military industrial complex kind of thing is
0: I don't think melt the guns is about just personal ownership I think it's just yeah. about the disaster that you know, guns are everywhere it's the military it's the police it's the it's it's the personal yeah. it's everywhere it's everything well oh, mm-hmm.
2: he's got the little soliloquy in the middle and speaking to the justice league of america the usa yeah yeah, you you know the justice league is that's a broad (laughs) term i guess
3: but that's his uh, that's his comic book reading youth coming back and come back coming back to him i think because it's a it's a a dc comics thing isn't it yeah
2: yeah and there's all this thing about heroes and stuff in that Mm. song too you know uh, oh gosh i don't know it's it's quite a
3: song yeah, it, it's very didactic, it's, isn't it? It's uh, if you're a, a gun owner, it's not going to make you change your mind. Um,
2: no, no, absolutely not. I don't, I don't know who, will, <laughs> who's getting. Nothing's going to make a gun owner going to change their mind. No.
3: Uh,
2: it, it almost seems trivial in a way to discuss it as
0: a song and as the music. But musically, this is another song where the guitar plays the rhythmic element. I just, yeah, I sure. love that. I love that oh, rhythm. Yeah. That. Ba, 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 ba. Very staccato, yeah. and but it's yeah. exciting, and it's if you have forgot the lyric for a second, it's. Actually shot a really fun song but
2: oh uh, yeah the
0: it's, lyrics it's, are such it's, an important part about it
3: this is one of those where with the captain that that guitar intro it, to me is very captain beef heart um, mm-hmm. derived it's, it's, it could have been off maybe not trout Re- math replica but maybe off clear spot or something it's just okay the, and, and the way the drums come in too you almost expect instead of andy coming in with his vocals you you must expect some you know, the, the captain to start growling about <laughs> bug-eyed <laughs> beats from venus or something you know if he wasn't listening to that stuff when he was younger i'll i'll eat my hat it's it's just yeah the, see he, he he'd pretty well left this behind by english settlement but there's a few songs where it appears again and this is one of them that that intro you just talked about it could have been off any of the middle period of his albums i think it's yeah. certainly the guitars there the songs don't sound aren't particularly like captain b it's just that no you just see that influence every now and again
0: So I'll ask you, Shane, since you specifically said that there were some songs on this that you don't think work as well. So what are those songs? And I guess let me elaborate on the question. Do you think (laughs) that there's songs that you don't actually like or are they songs that you think don't fit in to the broad concept of English Settlement?
3: There's no songs I really actively dislike, but I haven't got a whole lot of time for Fly. (laughs) I don't think it quite works and I don't like the effect on the vocal to make him sound like a fly (laughs) it kind of makes him sound like some other kind of weird creature
0: it's the least xtc sounding song
3: yeah there's some songs that don't quite work as well as others but and I think even though I like english roundabout as a song I think they were they were trying to copy. It sounded like they were having a go at playing like the English beat, you know. On mm-hmm. that, and and I think rhythmically they could have done something different there. But that's that's probably a bit of a personal thing. Yeah, that's about it really. I think everything else is. I, I don't think I could do without really.
0: So you've yeah. gone and you've just gone and eliminated half of Colin's uh, output there, Shane.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, uh...
0: Jeff, anything that you think that doesn't quite work for you as much as the re- And I'm presuming because you have heard the double album, even though you have said you're not as familiar with it.
2: Never there's about a it. handful on there that I just really don't really don't know as well as I know the others leisure. but of the ones that I really leisure. like I don't know leisure was never one of my faves they
3: I don't yep. know why. I just, you know, and fly. Is it the way he stretches know. out the word leisure till it doesn't make any sense anymore, maybe? Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, the vocals be kind of weird and, and sometimes fun some parts of all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, when he's, it's cool, it's Andy's thing, it just doesn't, mm. that one, I like parts of it and I don't yeah. like other parts of it. It's a lot like most everything the Moody Blues ever did, I, I just, <laughs> I can't, they, 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 you know, I just never got them. They, they, they have like really cool songs and then they, there's always this really dumb part yeah. to, to the middle of Tuesday after Afternoon. it's a brilliant song and then that bridge happens like what yeah
3: that was <laughs> <Just> the error
2: <laughs> yeah leave what you had man it was great <laughs> but so i could do that song with the cover that song without the bridge make, it, make it a, but yeah i mean i wish i was more familiar enough with some of these other ones to really dig in on the uh, I feel about them
0: Look, I'm, I'm with you that Leisure is probably um one of two songs. Uh, I'll probably get a shock horror for my second pick, but uh yeah, look Leisure is one song that I don't particularly care for terribly much, even though it's quite appropriately written. So you know this
4: mm-hmm. guy singing,
0: right? Well, I've been I'm out of a job, so I spend all my time just playing computer games and I don't go out and play real soccer anymore because I can do mm. it on, on my television. And yeah, it, it plods along and it's appropriate musically for the subject matter and yet mm. I sort of think, in a way, it's an easy target. It's a lazy song, uh, not mm. just a lazy-sounding song. Sure. I, ironically, it's probably more relevant than ever. I mean, if it, if it was mm. like that in 1982, holy shit, it's probably more relevant in 2018. So it's not like oh, I think absolutely. it's a... I don't think it's a bad song, I just don't think it's a great XTC song. Mm.
3: And but
2: lyrically, it is, again, you know, it's spot on. I mean, all the lyrics on this record
3: are... Yeah, it's on very it on. predictive. It's, you know, it seems mm-hmm. to... Like, like you said, Morris, it's it's probably more of an issue now. Uh, it's
2: almost yeah. an Orwellian kind of vibe about a lot of them, you know. Yeah. Mm. Some of them. So it's so great, but I, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make it any more pleasant
3: to listen to just because it no. plods. Yeah. Is it meant? Yeah. Is it meant to though? I mean, is it meant to have that kind of? Um... I,
0: well, I think I think it is because you know the character is saying, <laughs> "Yeah, well, I don't really do much." I mean, you, you imagine the character sitting around in his jammies all day and. I think I'll just you know, I'll go and play another computer game. And, and
2: right, it, so, so but what it, would the musical alliteration to that be? It would be a blotting kind of song. Well, exact, exactly. But, Here I go into my TV playing, playing with you know.
0: But it, yet, in a way, lyrically, it sort of sounds like they're having a piece of each cake so on the one Mm. hand it's saying like he's having a go at those who would deprive him of work and yet he's quite saying but I'm quite happy to be plodding along in my gym jams which is a problem that I have with Dear God I've never considered Dear God to be a great song because it's Mm. sort of like well I don't believe in you and yet here's all the shit that you've done so uh, whatever you agree or disagree with the sentiment but I just don't think that they're as clever lyrically as Andy Partridge
3: can get. I've always thought that about dear god if you don't believe in god you're probably probably better off not writing a song addressed to him. <laughs> right, right, you know, exactly. It's, uh, probably us just leave it alone. But I think I'm going to call it leisure. I'm sorry, I can't do leisure. <laughs> <But> I, <don't,
2: laughs> I usually pronounce it properly, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh,
3: a better a better attempt at this kind of thing. I, I reckon would be I'm so tired, you know, John Lennon's song. On, yes. Uh, yeah, because it's a very similar subject. He he's got that kind of draggy musical thing going on in there and it's uh, it, com- it combines the feeling with the music and it works right. a lot better. I I think. And, it's, plus
2: yeah, he's and he's a, got this he's got a 50s type style melody going on in there that
3: you kind of can't miss you know almost yeah, a Buddy right,
2: yeah. kind of melody with that one
3: yeah that's right and well, he, i'm only sleeping for
2: that matter yeah, yeah oh, that's yeah. right
3: yeah. yeah i think he was doing a lot of that at the time just lying around <laughs> watching tv
0: <laughs> well the other song on the album that never really grabbed me and this is the rhythmic one this is it's nearly africa this is Terry Chamber's big showcase but Mm. it's the sort of song which I imagine would be great to watch them do live Uh, just on the record it's just like three and a half minutes of Them singing Shake Your Bag of Bones over a heavy rhythmic element,
2: but yeah, just well. And again, that's uh, he's trying to the musical alliteration of that. It was, you know, it would be like this constant tribal kind of drumming. You know, there's no real dynamic in that one. Right. It does just it kind of gets going and it just kind of stays going till it's done. And I do like the kalimba
3: kind of feel to it. That I don't know what it is. It's probably a synth of some description, but it sounds like a thumb piano or something. And
0: uh... it's the sort of thing that you know, like if they'd say, right, we're going to sing the first verse of this purely with you know, kalimba and drum yeah. kit and other percussion and then the band kicks in, okay, yeah. but three and a half to four minutes of it, it's
2: I uh, know and you and you have a to give much. it the credit for having inarguably the worst saxophone solo ever. <laughs> <on the record. laughs> I mean, so who
3: plays that? I don't know who plays. Oh, that. Oh,
2: Andy plays that. Yeah, God. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or doesn't
3: play that, or whatever you want to call it. He just he just honks it out. And... because He couldn't play sax either. He insisted on playing it all the time as well. <laughs>
2: see, I think you're right about this b Beefheart thing, Shane. I think you're
3: right. No, I think you know. I think you're right. Yeah. The note I've written about is nearly Africa Is that the, the touring XTC would never have done it? It would have been interesting to see them try, but I don't I think it would have even made the set list.
0: Right. Um, Ironically, probably because it would have been better live, if it, yeah. even if they would have had to have gotten a couple of guest musicians up there on stage. I imagine that they probably would have loaded the stage with tons of percussion instruments and, and invited yeah. a bunch of friends to shake things and hit things and tap things. Shake their bag
3: of bones. Shake their <laughs> yeah. bag of
0: bones. Who I would like to have heard do an interpretation of this would have been Tom Waits, probably. No,
3: to. yeah, right.
0: Shake <laughs> <laughs> your bag of bones. If he could talk that
3: fast. <laughs> yeah, no. he certainly got a,
0: a. Oh, he would have done it in his arrangement. He would have you know slowed, <laughs> slowed it down or something. That's uh, all I can hear now. <laughs> <laughs> good oh, well, mission accomplished near, near. <laughs> the final thing I wanted sort of to talk about was side four of the album which is and apart from fly on the wall is the reggae side of the album yeah. and each song though takes a different approach to it is them living with that second re- generation that revival of ska music yeah uh, so they were you know probably sort of grooving on what you know the specials were doing and yeah and the you like you can roundabout is unusual because I can't think of any other sort of reggae or ska type tune that goes outside four four and Mm. Um, I mean look I'm not I'm not yeah. a reggae expert I'm sure there are probably you know a bunch of listeners out there saying oh you idiot you don't know yeah. this song or this song or that song but it's unusual and yet it still has that very strong reggae
2: feel about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it harkens also to uh his uh, speaking you know his influences it sounds a little like yes. Yeah You're just something that uh, you know well, the roundabout title is maybe drawing <laughs> my mind there but no yeah. I was listening to that, that that line at the end that and and it keeps going up and modulating up
3: Yeah it's very yes not, yeah. oh yeah
2: See, and it, it, you know that the bass starts doing over that they, they got to that yes got to that
3: sound but mm. for sure and
2: I think probably another influence on the sleeve there and it's another song that i think lyrically works
0: really well in 2018 we're all on this treadmill all on this round about where the hell are we going why are we taking a breath and it's you know life is crazy i mean it's it's not a unique subject to songwriting but i think for me i think colin lyrically gets it right here i know that
2: mm. I, I, it's I, a great I, song yeah
0: yeah,
2: yeah it's um, one of the standouts
0: but i love the closing of the album once again as i said about this being a bookmark. Snowman. Mm. and the four and it's just such a gorgeous song and this is them putting the stamp on okay if if you haven't got the picture yet we are not the band that we were even one album ago this is a different side to us once again this is about love gone wrong so if you know if not dance is about the start of a relationship and the total romanticism then this is a song about why she's treating me so cold, but it's not mm. woeful, woe is me or self-pitying, it's just genuine confusion. He says, um, it isn't even winter and I'm freezing. And yet <laughs> musically, I think it's a nice contrast because it almost sounds like a Caribbean song. And it's not just yeah. uh, about yeah. the, the reggae feel of Terry Chambers behind the kit, but mm. it, it's, it's the, the guitar playing has got that sort of shimmering, very sunny guitar feel about it. So I like that contrast of the cold and the lyricism with the warmth of
3: the guitar side of it and the oh, vocals very syncopated across that smooth that almost well for FTC, smooth absolutely the, the, yeah it's very off, almost slightly off kilter it works really well though it's, it's almost the opposite of what they normally do with you know with the with the singing and the music they've kind of reversed it in a way like you say it's it's kind of letting letting people know that it's not like their older stuff which a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff on this album is isn't like their older stuff it's mm. Definitely setting out their table to move on to things like Mama and, and there's mm-hmm. the folk, there's a lot, there's a big folk thing going through this, uh, which certainly got more and more prevalent later on. The love a Farm Boy's Wages and stuff like that, where they were. And then they yeah. touched folk music before 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 this album, I don't think.
2: Yeah, definitely was a stepping stone towards that. Yeah,
0: those guys, I guess they like the Beatles. The other thing was they had that curiosity, what else can we do? What next can yeah. we do? Yeah, yeah. Everything was building on what they'd done before, and it yeah. seemed natural. Mm-hmm. So by the time you get to Apple Venus, it's a long way from what they'd done before, but it didn't seem so different from the from non such, which didn't seem. So different from, uh, I can't remember what was the immediate one before
3: that. Um, uh, Apple and Venus and all that stuff. and
2: You know, it's definitely an apex in their career, though. One of I moments. must admit,
3: I left them a little bit after um, Mama. Jeff, your introduction was big express, but I didn't really like that album very much. I, I, probably more the sound of it, I didn't. There seems to be a lot of drum yeah. machines on it. My memory is, and I, I'm not a big on drum machines, so I think I just. But yeah, I probably should go back because, like I said, I don't these days. I don't let production get in the way too much of what if if the songs are good.
2: Yeah, I mean, Big Express. It's 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 not song per song the, uh, one of their best, but there are certainly some really great moments. As mummer to me yeah. too, it's just you know, one of the moments I wanted to point out on this record that I just love sonically on, on on settlement is, is the, the big that big flange on Jason and the Argonauts gets me no, every yeah. time. Big gold bars, an easy, easy target for something really yeah. big. But man, it's
3: cool because it builds for so long. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah.
2: That whole bar, it just starts really slow, and you get hints of it, and then it just when they finally.
4: I have heard
3: that. It's a great I yeah. like that song. It seems to be about touring to me.
0: Uh, uh, Andy Partridge actually said that that song was about his feelings about them sort of just becoming this great BMO and, and touring and how difficult yeah. that was getting. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's, and it's a like great line about
3: seeing women wearing, going to places where women wear veils, but uh-huh. is it any different to making women wear makeup? Yeah, uh, that's it's a brilliant. Fantastic. Right there. And how, pre- how prescient is that? Because it's, you know, well, I don't know about in America, Jeff, but here, the way Muslim women are dressed seems to be a major issue for lots of people. And,
2: no, it's a, word, you know, it's I a
3: worldwide thing. I mean, you know, people should mind their own fucking business, but, you know... <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, you know, like a lot of men do expect their women to slap their faces with makeup all the time. I don't see how different it is, really, at the end of the day. I love that. I just love that line. I, just, I really like that song, and yeah, the, fl- the flanging. Yeah, it's a, it's a great one. That's, yeah,
2: That could be, I don't know if that's my fave on the record, but it could be.
0: And that's it's interesting because, like, I've gone to mention It's Nearly Africa as being a song that doesn't really go anywhere. And Jason and the Argonauts, if he'd done it a little bit of different, it could have fallen into the same bracket because it's a song but it's not so much like a a structured song it sort of works its way around a couple of motifs and yeah. it, it builds up and yet it still is a fantastic song but it's not yeah. structured like the other songs are it, it's more in common with It's Nearly Africa and yet that one doesn't work but Jason and the Argonauts works perfectly yeah.
3: yeah it does if it wasn't for Ball and Chain and Senses Working Overtime this would be one of those albums like Astral Weeks where the songs kind of just all blur into each other really in a way aside from those two real standout pop singles it yep. doesn't have any of that stuff on it at all it's it's more of one mm. those all one piece <laughs> I <It, laughs>
2: More dynamic from
3: song to song, yeah. I mean, there are obviously, but it's you know, it takes you a while to sort it all out when you first hear it. I can't remember what I was thinking when I first heard it. I just thought, thought it was a lot to take on, like a lot of double albums were at the time. You just think, Oh, am I gonna, how am I gonna deal with this? Great, I'm gonna stuff. get through all this, yeah, yeah.
0: But probably like a lot of your favorite albums are those ones that took Absolutely. you like, ten listens to say, so, Ah, now I get it,
3: yeah. I tend to ignore lyrics for a while. I tend to listen to the music because being a musician, uh, but I mean, I also write lyrics and sing, but I tend to not even know Know what songs are about for a while because I'm just sorting out the music in my head like Ball and Chain. Saints. I think for a while there, I just thought that was about literally somebody being, you know, with a ball and cha- chain around their leg until I actually right. started well, listening to the lyric. I've
0: been playing the album a lot in preparation for uh, the podcast and my wife, who wasn't really listening to the lyrics, saying, oh, is this a sexist song? I said, no, <laughs> no, it's actually literally <laughs> yeah. about a ball and chain. Oh, well, Yeah,
3: yeah. Because yeah. a ball yeah. and chain is, is, it's the wrong term because it's a wrecking ball he's talking about. Right. Yeah, you know, The ball and chain is the thing that you put around a convict's leg or a, right. you know, what you call your wife if you're a particular kind of guy.
0: So we're bringing it back it's... to the last podcast, aren't we, Shane?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. See? See what I did there? I you... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well done. Well done. All right, so I want to bring this into the station. So final thoughts.
2: Boy, I've never talked so much about an album in my life. I don't know if I've got anything else to add. There's still things that, I, that I'm like not, like I said, not as familiar with on this record that I've heard much less than the other. So after all this discussion, I think going back and checking all that out again, with all the things we talked about in mind, will be fun.
4: Mm.
2: You know, a little more enlightening, another layer of this record revealed. It's a mainstay in the collection for sure. It's a, absolutely. It's an it's an essential album, I think, for anyone
3: who claims to be into pop music. I think we, we've pretty well covered it, but I, I think I would say that if you were starting with Htc, maybe you wouldn't start with this one because it's quite daunting. But. It's one of those albums, I guess the, the biggest thing I can say about it is it's like the wide Album, and I've been listening mm-hmm. to the wide Album since I was you know, since I was 12, and uh, I'm still finding things in there that I haven't heard before, and I think you, that is the mark of a classic album, I think.
2: Mm. Yeah. And I, think that, I think
3: it's the same with this one, too.
2: Oh, sorry, where would you start, XTC? Someone on XTC, I'm just curious. What record would well, you...
3: Well, i personally go for Black Sea, and then uh-huh. work your way around, around backwards and forwards. I think if you really like Black Sea and that kind of thing in this you'll probably Correct. assaulted by the first two, but even though there's, there's great things on them. I think the singles are your best bet for those ones, and then just maybe... Move forward from that. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's still some XTC. I haven't really like some of the later stuff. Um, I haven't really investigated yet. So.
2: Yeah, I'm not very good post skylarking save for a song here or there. But. Well, I love I the Mayor like,
3: Simpleton and things like that, and uh, the sure. Disappointed. I love those singles. Um.
2: And king and, for yeah. a Day, I always like to I just I know yeah. it's, just, it's it's a blatant pop song, but
3: it's a damn yeah, good yeah. one. <laughs> oh, yeah, so is the Mayor Simpleton. It's it's obviously yeah. their attempt to get a you know.
2: Peter Pumpkinhead, that was another.
3: Game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really should. I really should investigate those things uh, a bit more.
0: I I think that if I were going to recommend something to a complete XTC novice, I would say Fallen in a great compilation, because A, you get the more accessible songs, you absorb that in, and you get a mini history of the band. You can see the evolution Mm. from This Is Pop or Science Friction through to Wrapped in Grey. I mean, I don't think the compilation actually goes through to the Apple Venus albums, because it's only the Virgin mm records, but so like, you know, fall in love with those songs, and then you'll be prepared to go along with the more weird bits, the more you know, crazy moments, mechanic dance or something yeah. from, from, from the early stuff. You'll be prepared to go along with that. If you get thrown in the deep end with that at the beginning, you might not come back. So fall in love and then you'll be prepared to take the time to investigate. But if you, were, mm. if I was going to recommend one album that, just like a, a non-compilation album, I'd probably recommend non-such. Mm. Uh, I mean, once again, like Ingle Settlement, it's daunting. I mean, I think it, that came out in the era of CD. Where there were no records. Size. Uh, yeah. uh, right, per- yeah. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe an XTC fan out there will tell me I'm full of shit. But I, it's certainly, it's like a 75 minute CD, which is as mm. long as Ingros Settlement as a double album is. So mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's it's quite wide in scope, but every song is melodic and takes you to some great Beatlesque places, and, and it's just a good combination of XTC doing what they do, but with a lot of that sort of Colin molding melodicism and mm. influencing maybe even he was an influence on uh, on Andy on that mm. album just yeah fantastic fantastic record yeah. and that, that'd that be probably I'd say right if you want something to start that's not a singles compilation that's probably where I'd go but interesting we've talked for a long time about XTC so that's hopefully uh, the listeners have uh-huh. gone through with us on this long ride but it's a double album so we're allowed to do that uh, Absolutely. <laughs> so before we finish off huge thank you to you two gentlemen for uh, taking up your Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning to uh, a pleasure. Pleasure. to speak about this album so for the listeners out there who want to follow what you do we'll start off with you Shane where can people go and pick up on the Shane Pacey Trio and the Bondi cigars either with records CDs gigs where can
3: they follow you well both bands have Facebook pages and websites so they're easily found on Facebook but I think it's uh, trio.com and BondiCigars.com
0: Fantastic. And uh, yeah. we played a little bit of your music on the last episode that we did together about Wrecking Ball. So if you hadn't caught that episode, please go back and uh, hear Shane's very funky style of blues and try and catch them live. And I'm looking forward to you being back in Melbourne I mean, sometime soon.
3: Yeah, we should discuss a, uh, a blues album soon, I guess.
0: You know what? I think that should be the next port of call.
3: Uh, <laughs> i mean, I, I love I a piece of that.
0: that. Well, okay, the, the terrific trio. We'll be back in 2019, the three of us to pick up a, a really cool funky blues album. I didn't mention this at the beginning of the show, Jeff, but you know I thought, right, well, I'd better give a listen to some of your own music. So I went and listened online to um, anything at all. And my God, I'm a big fan of Amy Mann, and it sounds like you are too.
4: If all you want to do is talk yourself through, then be my guest. It's easy to see that you won't be Tell it's off my chest. But I don't think I need to hear the rest of
2: it. So I've so- Is she? I is love her. We'll have. <laughs> She's great, yeah. I mean, she's definitely a, a writer. I think I've stolen some tricks from, for sure. <laughs> definitely. I mean, was, and, and was she what you were
0: thinking about while you were arranging these songs? I mean, there's a cross between Amy Mann and mm. mid-period Beatles. So it sounds to me like what you're going through on anything at all. Is that a fair assessment?
4: Huh.
0: Gosh,
2: not really. I mean, it's okay. that was my first record, and all I wanted to do was make a record mm. and get one out. I'd just gotten some equipment to record with, and just kind of piece that thing together. It was around, t- you know, early. 2000 i started and i guess maybe in 2001 i did because i remember 9 11 went down and that sort of put a pause in my program for a minute some of those songs were old and some were newer at the time and i wasn't really going for anything other than just trying to make a record and I heard an interview with what's his, uh, with Rufus Wainwright. Oh, wow. He was talking about making a record, and he just, like, everybody was making records and just doing it on their own. It was, you know, I guess the time of the label was sort of like, you know, well, they're not going to help, and this and that. And he just said, I just had to make a record, and nobody else was going to do it. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's what I need to do. So I just kind of, I just really hunkered down and, and tried to finish off my record. And and so I would not say there was any cohesive theme for it. So what did anyway, you go- But I got some new stuff coming. So. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> (laughs) Some new stuff in your own name or... or Yes, this will be the first... I put out another EP in 2005 and then I haven't put out anything since then. So this is my first push of original stuff in a long time and wow. uh, it's really going great i'm very excited about it uh, great players on it and doing that and uh, i have a website it's jeffperlmanmusic.com you can google me on the facebook and all that and like anything else find me there fantastic <laughs> on the web google me i just say google me babe <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> there, there, there's a verb
0: that we would never have said at the time of english settlement
2: <laughs> cool. exactly yeah yeah we used to we used to ogle people
0: and now we google them. <laughs> All right, so final housekeeping things. If uh, you've enjoyed the show, please, please, please let people know that we exist. You can listen to Love That Album either from, you can download us from iTunes. We're now on Spotify, and I've put the show back up on Stitcher. I took it off a few years ago for whatever stupid reasons I had, but it's back up there on Stitcher. Or whatever podcast catcher of your choices, I'm not going to limit you, just any way you want to listen Let people know that we exist. You can download us from the website, lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. If you want to send me an email, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Email me at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. You can join the Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. And we're approaching that time of year. It's nearly December, although it may be December by the time I've edited and put this show online. But December traditionally is the episode where I invite some people to come on the show and talk about their favorite first time listens of the year and this time will be no exception when i say first time listens if you're new to the show i don't limit it to albums that came out in that year i say what were five albums that you heard in this year for the first time it could be something from 40 years ago that that just escaped you and it's new to you and chances if it's new to you it'll be new to someone out there in the listening audiences so we want people to get recommendations not just necessarily write down the albums that everyone has heard so this time around i've got four wonderful guest co-presenters who'll be joining me on the show i'll be re-speaking to billy pinnell uh, a long time hero of mine from the uh, days of eonfm the triple m and now doing a podcast of his own called the music show with billy pinnell and i look forward to hearing what his first time listens are ian mcfarlane who's been on a few times over the last couple of years he wrote the Wonderful encyclopedia of Australian rock and pop. So he's a walking encyclopedia of Australian music, but he won't limit himself, I'm sure, to Australian albums as he uh, proved last year. Jeff Jenkins, music journalist who's been doing episodes with me right from the very beginning of this podcast from seven years ago. And we'll be welcoming back to the show the host or co host of Rock Quiz. Uh, Mr. Brian Nankervis so very excited to be welcoming him back so four wonderful knowledgeable music types will be telling us about their favourite albums or first time listens of 2018 so that'll probably be out in the last week of 2018, uh, sometime between Christmas and New Year. So listen out for it then. And I think that's about it. I think I've said all I have to say and you gentlemen have too. So once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And until the uh, end of year episode, be nice to each other. Listen to some great music. Listen to some XTC. Try and find that documentary. This is pop. It's a great documentary. Probably one of the few films that I'll say needed to be longer. Mm -hmm. You often think, Things should be shorter, but what they did, they did very well. But we wanted more, so um, but check it out anyway. Great documentary. Until next time, look after each other. Cheers.